Our Bible reading this morning comes from John, chapter 18, um, starting at verse 12 and can be found on page 1086 of the Red Bibles or 1681 of the large print Black Bibles. John 18, starting at verse 12. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. "'You are not one of his disciples, are you?' the girl girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, "'I am not.' It was cold, and the servants and officials stood round a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself." Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment a cock began to crow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Please bow your heads to pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Father, by your Spirit's presence, wax into our hearts your truths that we would know and love you more. Amen. As the night nears its end, there's a sound that welcomes the morning. A raw cry that pierces the darkness and beckons the sun to rise and the shadows to flee. That sound? The call of a rooster. For many, this is a happy sound. Nature's alarm clock that instructs farmers and village folk alike to prepare for another day. But on this Friday morning, for for one man, The sound pierced his heart in the same way it pierced the stillness of that night. That man, 
was Simon Peter. Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, you'll know the name Simon Peter. What you might not know or may have forgotten is that before he met Jesus, this man was simply Simon. In John's Gospel, we first meet Simon in chapter 1, verse 41, uh, where Andrew, Simon's brother, comes to him and tells him about Jesus. He says, we have found the Messiah. And there in verse 42, John writes, and Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Peter. In Matthew's account of Jesus' life, Jesus gives a little more meaning to why he gave the name Peter to Simon. When Jesus asked Simon, who do you say I am? Peter, by divine revelation, declares, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds to him saying, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. But this was some time ago, and on this night, in the light of the moon, as the rooster beckons the dawn, Simon is feeling anything but rock-like. For Simon Peter, this sound confirmed his greatest fear, that underneath it all, Simon Peter, the rock, Simon Peter, the chief disciple, Simon Peter, Jesus' closest follower, was a fraud. That all Simon Peter's zeal, his strength, his courage was all a front, was all bravado. Simon Peter wasn't a rock at all. A rock is solid, immovable, steady. He was sand. When discipleship gets tough, Simon Peter the rock crumbles. Underneath it all, Simon, the real Simon Peter, was weak and scared. Our passage is anchored in an encounter that happened just a few hours earlier that same evening. If you do have your Bibles open, uh, do turn to John chapter 13, verses 31 to 38 on page 1082 of the Smaller Bibles. Here we see Jesus with his disciples at the Passover meal. Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet and Judas has just left to sell Jesus for silver. Jesus is yet again speaking about his death, telling his disciples that he will soon be leaving them to go somewhere that they can't. Simon Peter, with all his bravado and love, asks in verse 37, Lord, why can't I follow you? I'll lay down my life for you. Classic Simon Peter line. Confident, direct, forceful, rock-like Simon Peter. But Jesus replies, I imagine looking straight at him, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. For the rest of this evening, these words, I imagine, play around in Simon Peter's mind. How could he, Simon Peter, Simon the Rock, how could he deny 
his Lord and master, his friend who he loved dearly? How, after seeing everything that Jesus had done, his many healings, raising the dead to life, feeding thousands from scraps, arguing with and beating the most scholarly Jewish leaders, how could he, Simon Peter, after all that, disown Jesus? I mean, it's impossible, right? Just couldn't happen. I don't know where you are in your faith journey right now. Perhaps you've been a Christian for many years. You've known Jesus as your Lord, Savior, and friend for longer than you can remember. Maybe you've only recently just come to know that Jesus is the one who gives you life and light. You have experienced something of his divine power in your life by his Holy Spirit. Perhaps a deep intimacy in prayer or in reading his word. Perhaps the heights and depths of emotion in sung worship. Maybe you yourself have experienced or witnessed a miraculous healing or an event that you just know only God could have brought about. Maybe you've had visions, dreams, audible words, speaking in tongues. A shiver down your spine as you feel God's presence come upon you in a particular way. Maybe a God incidence because we don't believe in coincidences or fate, do we? There are many moments in my life that I can look back on and say, that was God. Where things happened that only he could have brought about. Each of us here who believe have stories. Something more than a head knowledge that, that deep in our hearts testify to the glorious work of God in our lives. Some are fresh, others perhaps a bit more dim. But even with those experiences, those encounters with God, do you ever wonder what you might do when faced with a challenge to your faith? A confrontation? Some hard questions at work or at school or from a family member? Perhaps for our brothers and sisters in other countries, as we heard about recently, even torture? Simon Peter knows Jesus to be more than a man. By divine inspiration, he knew Jesus to be the Messiah, God's anointed one, God's son, who brings life and light to the world. Simon Peter knew this. He was certain that he would rather die than deny it. But only this night will tell if that's true. When discipleship gets tough, Simon Peter the rock will crumble. So the awful events of this tragic Thursday evening play out. They leave the meal. Jesus sweats blood in an olive garden as he prays. Jesus is arrested and his disciples flee. We pick things up in chapter 18, verse 12, on page 1086 of the Church Bibles. As Jesus is led under the cover of night by armed guards to the house of Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. What follows in this passage are two trials. Inside the courtyard, we have a baying crowd of religious leaders, bribed common folk, and temple guards who run a mock trial for Jesus. He's questioned, falsely accused, spat on, and struck. Outside, Peter will be questioned three times about his association with Jesus. Tragically, where Jesus remains truthful when discipleship gets tough, Simon Peter the Rock 
will crumble. I'm sure many of us know the story we just heard read to us. As Simon Peter skulks in the dark from a doorway to a fire pit to the shadows. Each time encountering a simple question. But on that night, it was probably the hardest question Simon Peter has ever faced. That question, essentially, do you follow Jesus? We could attribute much to Simon Peter's denial that night. We could make many excuses for him, can't we? He must have been terrified. I mean, how would you respond? You know they'd planned to kill Jesus. That's why you all ran away to Ephraim just a few weeks earlier. If they find out that you are one of his disciples, will they take you too? But you've seen Jesus do so much. You've witnessed his miracles. You've seen and experienced the power of God up front and personal. But as two disciples say on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, but we hope that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. All your hopes and aspirations for the future have been bound up with Jesus. But now he is bound up. And in their clutches, have you just been naive, gullible, taken in by Jesus' great charisma and some party tricks? But he's your best friend. No, more than that, you love him. You love him in some way that he's both your brother and your father at the same time. How would you respond on this night? It's understandable, isn't it? With the emotion and the tension and the fear. It's understandable, isn't it? What would you do? With your experiences, your encounters with God, what do you do when faced with a challenge to your faith? When asked whether you follow Jesus, either directly or indirectly? A confrontation, some hard questions at work or at school or at home, for our brothers and sisters around the world, torture. Do we move from door to fire to shadows, trying not to be seen, trying not to be noticed, hoping no one will ask us what we actually believe? Or have we become so good at hiding in the shadows that our light has just become a little dim and no one would recognize us at all as a follower of Jesus? Laughing at coarse humor, turning a blind eye to bullying or corruption, intoxicating ourselves and out with friends, being indifferent to poverty. Simon Peter may have had reasonable motives for denying Jesus. But nonetheless, he did deny him. And his actions on this dark evening expose in our own hearts how we too can all too easily disown Jesus. That actually when discipleship gets tough, we too can crumble. In truth, this is becoming increasingly a regular fear for me as I stand up here to preach each week, 
living in a country that is becoming more and more hostile to the kindness and love of Jesus. Where God's good and perfect rules and ways of living are constantly being questioned. We're holding firm to what God teaches on morality, on marriage, on gender, on sexuality, on abortion, on right living, can now have me ridiculed and potentially even prosecuted. Where very soon I will have to tell my children, most likely, that what they are learning in school is wrong, even harmful. And where I'll have to encourage them to be faithful to God in the places he has called them to live and move at their tender age. I feel the pressure to disown Jesus, to twist his words, to teach in a way that is more palatable, more comfortable to this modern Western ear. Truthfully, when discipleship gets tough, I too am tempted to crumble, and on occasion, to my shame, I have. Brothers and sisters, if you pray for me, and for those who teach here, including our children's workers, in these rooms around us now, pray that we will not disown Jesus. Pray that we will remain faithful to him. And do not be afraid to call us to account when we fail to do so. Luke has a very painful line in his account of Simon Peter's denial. When Simon Peter denies Jesus for the third time, Luke tells us, the Lord looks straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words he had spoken to him. I have sometimes felt the weight of that gaze, often when I'm on the very verge of denying him. Have you? There's another man who on this very night had denied that Jesus was the Lord. Another man who had allowed Jesus to face a trial alone rather than be associated as one of his. Another man who on this night was also racked with remorse and guilt over what he had done. Do you know who this man was? Judas. That's funny that, isn't it? Judas and Peter are actually quite alike. That when push comes to shove, both men display their true colors. That when discipleship gets tough, both men would choose to deny Jesus rather than to stand with him. Both men would crumble. Denying that Jesus is the Lord, God and Savior of the world is no light thing. Jesus himself says in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Or in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus says this, But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown them before my Father in heaven. That's uncomfortable to hear, isn't it? Paul, writing to his apprentice, Timothy, says this in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, verses 11 to 12. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. 
That's uncomfortable to read, isn't it? What does this mean about Simon Peter? Will Jesus disown him before God? I wonder, has Jesus disowned us before God for when we crumble? And it's not just Judas. Think back to Israel in the wilderness. God rescued them with great signs and wonders. God parted the Red Sea and they went through on dry land. God gave them bread from heaven and water from the rock. God appeared to the whole nation, causing a mountain to burn with fire and smoke, with peals of thunder and trumpets and speaking in his awful voice. No people in the history of the world, apart from Adam and Eve, have ever seen God as up close and personal as those Israelites in the wilderness. And what do they do whilst the whole mountain burned in front of them? They turned their back on God and made themselves a cow to worship instead, while God was right there before them. At the heart of the problem of Judas, the problem with the Israelites, the problem of Caiaphas, Annas, and everyone involved in Jesus' horrific execution, at the heart of the problem of Simon Peter is the human heart. What Simon Peter needs is a heart transplant. He needs God's Holy Spirit to give him a new heart, that he would worship God and remain firm. But in this story, we'll have to wait a few weeks to see how it ends for Simon Peter, because for now, we don't hear from him again for another three days. So I guess that just leaves us, doesn't it? What about us? What hope is there for us? We who know Jesus and yet crumble when discipleship gets tough. Are our hearts just as broken as Simon Peter's, as Israel's, as Judas's? Well, as is often the answer, yes and no. Yes, because the Bible tells us that all people, everyone from the Queen of England to a beggar on the high street in Kingston, Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one in the whole history of the world who can stand before God on their own merits. Our problem is that our hearts are all too often curved in on themselves to do what seems good for us. You have to look at your own thoughts about Brexit, about Boris, about coronavirus, about stockpiling toilet roll, to know that we aren't always loving, at least not in our thoughts as we'd like to be. But there's one man in this passage that we've barely spoken about. One man who has the world turned in on him as his closest friends betrayed, denied, and abandoned him. One man who remained right before God. One man who never denied or abandoned his friends, but instead faced the condemnation head on. Jesus. In John chapter 6, Jesus speaks what are, to me, his most precious words. And I invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to them now. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 37, on page 1070 of the Church Bibles. I'm going to read a, a short quote. John, Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, 
but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Brothers and sisters, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, then know for certain with the surest hope that our Lord Jesus, who is at this moment sitting at the right hand of the Father, who at this moment, the Bible says, holds the whole known universe together by his word, who created the sun, the moon and the stars and everything, Jesus will not lose you. John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, I give my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. If you are a believer, then know that Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the universe, holds you firmly in his powerful grip and nothing can snatch you out of it. Where Judas crumbled, where Simon Peter crumbled, where you and I crumbled, Jesus remained firm and was perfectly obedient to his Father's will, facing the cross without flinching, taking upon his shoulders the sins of the whole world. His death in our place has bought our freedom. And if you believe this truth, no one, not even the snake, the devil, can snatch you from his hand. Let me finish that trustworthy saying that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy. Paul wrote, if we disown him, he will disown us. But then he adds, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. For he cannot disown himself. If there are occasions where you have denied Jesus because of fear, because of doubt, because of pride, know that your salvation, your right standing before God doesn't depend on what you've done, on your faithfulness to him but on his faithfulness to you. Before I close, I just want to highlight something crucial that might very well make the difference in your life between crumbling and remaining steadfast. That evening, Jesus and his disciples went to the Olive Garden, Gethsemane. And Jesus, going away to pray to his father, prepares himself for what he would lie ahead. He instructs his disciples to watch and pray that they will not fall into temptation, adding, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Whilst Jesus wrestled to be obedient to God's will, whilst Jesus prayed to the point of sweating blood to remain steadfast, can you remember what Simon Peter and the disciples were doing? Sleeping. I don't think I'm wrong in saying this, but God is teaching us here that one of the key reasons that Simon Peter crumbled when discipleship got tough and that Jesus didn't was because Jesus gave time and energy to praying to God to strengthen him for what lies ahead while Simon Peter slept. I often wonder how much less difficult I would find the trials God has allowed in my life if only I gave more time to pray to him. So yes, our hearts are as broken as Simon Peter's. 
But at this point in the story, we have something that he didn't, someone so precious, so sacred. If Jesus is Lord of your life, you have his Holy Spirit living inside of you, changing you more and more each day into the perfect likeness of Jesus. So yes, we have a heart problem, which we don't have to reflect on for too long to know is true. But no, because we have God's Spirit, we have been given new hearts. And when you feel tempted to betray or deny Jesus, his Spirit inside of you will give you strength. It will. will give you words. He will give you power to overcome and to stand fast for Jesus. But when you fail, which you will, remember that mercifully your hope lies in Jesus' faithfulness to you, not in yours to him. Brothers and sisters, though your body may be weak under temptation, remember Jesus' words, the Spirit is willing. Pray for his power and his strength. Brothers and sisters, trust in Jesus' faithfulness to you and for you. And in prayer, seek his strength to live for him every day in your lives until you meet him again in glory. Amen.